and uh, just really, really love shepherding this group. Well, if you were here last week, you kind of heard a, a bit about um, an overview of what we do here at, at, at Boundless, and this is our college ministry. Like Rich said, we have a Sunday morning gathering, and then we have a Thursday night gathering. And they're a little bit different in their emphases. Um, last week, I, I preached more of a sermon. I kind of poured my heart out to you in terms of um, what I would tell one, you know, what I would tell you if there was only one, one, visit, one time with you, you know, if I only had one conversation. Um, and that was to prioritize the church. Um, but this morning, we're going to shift gears and do kind of more of what's normal in the Sunday school hour. And it's more dynamic. It's more give and take. Uh, it's discussion-oriented. And over the last year or so, as we've been, as we've been doing this, it's kind of morphed into what I, I'm calling um, uh, core convictions series. Um, so what I mean by that is I think there are, we as, as pastors, as elders, think there are certain uh, key things for you to know, uh, key things that need to be part of your convictions as, as young people, uh, whether you're in college or you're not, you're just you're growing up in the faith. And we want to see those cemented um, in your life. And so one of the things we do is I don't just, I just don't, not that the teaching is very good in just like one, one direction. It's very helpful. But what I, part of what I want to do is to help you guys think, help you guys think clearly, and then articulate yourselves clearly on some of these issues um, as you're believing the truth deeply in some of these areas. So we've got a list of topics. It's, it's growing. You know, if there's certain things you want to, you want to talk about or see covered, um, just come talk to me or one of the other leaders and, and just let us know. And we'll see if we can work some of those things in. Periodically, we have open Q&As, so that gives you a chance to try to stump the pastor, which is easy to do. Um, but we'll, we'll do all of that, really, in this, in this session. So if you come Thursday night, it's an exposition. I'm teaching, you know, it's an hour, one direction, and then we talk about it afterwards. So, um, so anyway, as we're kind of getting into to this series, uh, this semester, just, I just want to ask you, kind of like lead off here, what do you think a conviction is? Talking about this as, as core convictions, how would you describe a conviction? I think about like conscience. Like that's like the I guess cultural idea of the same thing. What's a conviction? Like you do something wrong or something feels off, and like I need to change something or it just feels like an alarm going on in the heart. Something feels off. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, so that's that's helpful. So you're talking he's talking about if those of you couldn't hear, he's talking about conviction in the sense of maybe how the culture might even think about it, like they've done something wrong, they feel guilty. So conviction in that sense, and I think that's how we typically, it's one of the ways we use this term when we say conviction. Um, any, other, any other thoughts on what we might mean by convictions? You had your hand up. Yeah. Okay. So you might, you might draw a distinction between a conviction and belief. I probably wouldn't, but I get what you're saying. A conviction seems more intense, right? Like it seems in a, in a, in a way. Right, well, when I got saved, say, um, yeah. I didn't have to come up with a belief. I just knew that oh, um, something got a hold of me, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit. So that's why I think conviction is wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, it, yeah, I, I resonate with your experience. I think 
a conviction is something that we do have to pursue. I think it's something that we have to grab a hold of and cement. And um, how we're using this term, it, one way that maybe I could describe it, this I just take from a mentor of mine. He, he said, convictions are beliefs which drive your life and for which you would die if circumstances demanded it. Convictions, what we're trying to instill, are beliefs which drive your life and for which you would die if circumstances demanded. That's what we're after. Deep-seated beliefs you hold to tightly that you're saying, you know, if, it's, if, the, if the choice is death... Or give up my belief, I'm holding a belief. And so, that's really what we're after in this core conviction series. We want you to, we want you, obviously scripture is what we believe, right? We want you to hold the scripture tightly. Um, but, there are certain things that we must hold to tightly, um, and we, we need to be willing to die for. So, we want to instill that in you guys um, over these next few weeks by God's grace. So what we do is we take a topic, and we look at those in depth in Sunday school. We've done this in the past, and many of those are, are on our website in terms of sermons. Uh, I think about even other ministries like Grace and Granite for our men, like we've worked through convictions there. Uh, again, those are on our website. We're starting that up soon, a men's Bible study. But just direct you, as far as like Boundless is, is concerned, I'll direct you to um, our college ministry website on the Timberlake page. So you just go to Timberlake College Ministry, and you'll see a lot of written resources there that you can study with each other, with people that are discipling you, to help you kind of instill some, some of these central convictions. And that's always going to be continually updated as we cover more material. So, I want to segue now into what is our first topic for maybe this Next few weeks, the beauty of this is it's open-ended, so we take as long as we need to on some of these topics. So the first topic I want to discuss with you this morning and really just open up is the gospel. All right? The gospel. I want to uh, instill in you a clarity um, around the gospel. Now, I did think about, I was, you know, I was thinking about what, what if we're going to start this, like what would be a great place to start? And it was between two, okay? One was the gospel and one was scripture. All right, so those are my two, uh, my two top choices. Um, but just a, another little plug. We're going to be looking in depth at Scripture uh, in, in a few months in November uh, at the Devoted Conference. So if you don't know about that, you should. Um, it's, uh, we're going to all go down to North Carolina, be together. Uh, there's a speaker coming in. A bunch of different churches that we all know and are like-minded or come together with their college ministries. It's a sweet time. More info on that, just let me know. But... Um, we're going to be looking at, at the doctrine of Scripture there and cementing our convictions. So, I want to pivot and just talk through, for the next few weeks, uh, the gospel. And really answer the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And it might seem like a basic question, but as we're going to find out, uh, our culture and the Christian culture, there's a, a lot of different answers to that one question. So, one of the things I just want to direct you to right now, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. As I was meditating on what, what should we instill in you, Paul's words here came to mind. 1 Corinthians 15. You might be thinking, man, the gospel, like, we've, we've believed the gospel. We're, we want to go beyond the gospel here, now we're in church. 
Notice what Paul says here to the Corinthians, another church, so people who have already embraced the gospel. Paul says in chapter 15, verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, as Christians, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand currently, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. Now notice, this is what I want to draw your attention to. For I delivered to you as of, what's that language? First importance, what I also received. And he's going to go in to give you a brief sketch of really the heart of the gospel. Paul here calls it, it's a first importance. First importance. There's, in other words, you can't get any more important than the gospel and clarifying it, standing in it, continuing to believe it in the Christian life. Paul would, he goes on to say in other places, uh, maybe earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians 9.16, that his entire ministry is summed up as proclaiming the gospel. And so much so that he he said he would pronounce a curse upon himself if he did not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. So it was bound up in his life and ministry. This was of first importance to Paul. And talking about convictions, 2 Timothy 1.8, we see that the gospel was worth suffering for and the gospel was worth Paul dying for. He poured his life out as a drink offering for the sake of the gospel. So it's, even if we're just kind of getting into our topic here this morning, it's, it's of first importance, but why, why do you think, just pose this question, why do you think the gospel was of first importance to Paul? What do you think? There's probably lots of reasons on this, so. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So he said the gospel is a foundation for all we do, the Christian life. Um, yes, it is. We're going to look at that. It's central. The God, knowing the gospel and having a clear understanding of the gospel is central for our growth. What else? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, an important point. She said, basically, before Paul came to faith in Christ, i.e. all of us, he was operating out of a false understanding of, of, of the gospel or what he should be about in life and misguided. And there's always threats to the gospel. If the gospel is foundational for everything, which it is, um, then we can assume that there will be threats to it. Satanic threats, distortions, lack of clarity. And so we're not immune to that. So we want to be on our guard um, and, again, seeking clarity. So, yeah, first importance, that's good. What else? Why else would it be of first importance to Paul? Central to our growth. There's lots of distortions. Matthew? The gospel is what saves. Yeah. The gospel is the, is the message that saves, and there's no other message. So um, that is huge, huge. So why don't we just start there? That seems like a logical place to start. 
Why is the gospel essential? It's essential for our salvation. If you, if you want to write that down, it's essential for our salvation. So one of the, just another, another little side note as we're getting started this semester. Um, I'm going to throw a ton of scripture references at you. So if these are, if one of, my suggestion would be just kind of write them in the margin as we're going. Even if you don't have time to turn there, that's okay. Um, and you can go back and, and look at it later. It's essential. The gospel message is essential for our salvation. And Paul, let's stick with him for a minute. Paul knew that the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. So, Romans 1, 16. He says that, point blank. He's not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that, that means, and one of the implications of that, is it's, it's the only hope, the gospel is the only hope for sinners to be reconciled to God. It's it. It's the only path, say it differently, it's the only path to eternal life, to overcoming death that awaits every single person, to, to avoid judgment. So for us, life literally hangs in the balance, and Paul says it hinges on what we believe about the gospel and how we respond to it. All right, It's just human beings in general. So it's essential for our salvation, positively, and then also, we could say this in the negative, it, it's a sobering warning. Paul says that if you, if you don't obey the gospel, there's judgment awaiting you. All right, so you can write down 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me just read that for you. 2 Thessalonians 1. And listen to the language here. He's talking about, I'm just jumping in here to the middle of verse 7. Talking about the return of Christ, he, that Jesus is going to come and grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that language in a minute. It's interesting. Obey the gospel. Those who don't obey the gospel, he's coming to inflict vengeance. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So it's a sobering Warning as well, the gospel is essential for our salvation positively because it saves us and, and negatively we escape the wrath that is to come. Paul says that in Romans. It's the language he uses there. So it's essential for salvation. So we should study it. We should know it. It should be clear to us because of that alone. And then like we've said, another reason is it's essential for our growth. It's essential for our growth in Christ-likeness. 
Again, we're going to talk about all this more in, the, in, in weeks to come. This is just a kind of an opening, opening sketch. But Somebody over here said it. All of our obedience to, to Jesus, it flows from um, faith in the gospel. It flows out of being made alive in Christ by the gospel, by the good news of, of Jesus. It flows from faith, we could say. As we trust Christ in and through the gospel. So we're not, we're not working to, to merit favor with God in Christ. We're obeying because of what he's done for us in Christ. Because he's reconciled us to God. And again, we'll talk more about that. But it's essential for our growth. And the point here is the more clearly we understand the gospel, as we gain clarity there, the more zealous we're going to be in living joyful and obedient lives to Christ. And it works the opposite way, too. The less clarity we have in the gospel, the hazier it is to us, the more quickly we doubt the Lord, the more quickly we fall into sin, the, the easier it is for us to be kind of ensnared because we don't have a mature understanding of the gospel. Our obedience is also affected. Our worship is affected. The people that have the deepest joy and sing the most vibrant praise to the Lord are those who understand the gospel most clearly, i.e., Paul and others. You know, at the end of Romans 11, he just erupts in praise at multiple points. Ephesians 1 erupts in praise. Why? Because he has a profound understanding of all that God has done for him in Christ. So it's essential. The gospel, clear understanding of the gospel is essential for our growth. Lots of times our obedience is hindered by our haze. And if you want to jot down Romans 16, 25, Paul actually says there in Romans 16, 25, that God strengthens us by the gospel. So as we gain that clarity, as we rely on the Lord Jesus in the gospel, that, we're, that we, he provides, that's a channel for the Lord to provide strength in our lives. When we feel weak, the gospel is the place we run for that, that strength. He, that's actually a prayer there in Romans 16. May our, may our God strengthen you by his gospel. So, uh, a clear understanding of the gospel, clear convictions about the gospel is essential if we want to grow in Christ. Not only be saved, but grow. Can you think of anything else maybe we didn't talk about? What's our mission? David. To reach others with the gospel. <laughs> yeah, to reach others with the gospel. So, the gospel needs to be clear for our sakes, but it also needs to be clear for the sake of others, Right? It's essential for our evangelism, in other words. We could say it that way. It's essential for our evangelism, how we, how we share clarity there. So Jesus told his disciples in Mark 16, 15, that they are to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Language he uses there, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And if the gospel's hazy for us, we're not sure about it, we're not going to proclaim it to the whole creation. But if it's clear, and we're compelled by it, and it's a conviction, and we're living by it, not only are we proclaiming it, we're living it, there's fruit. I mean, it's just, it's, it's powerful, okay? The gospel is the power of God in our, in our words and in our actions. So, it, it clarifies, you know, our evangelism. And another, another text here, just to, to jot down, look at 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Um, you can write that down, but I would go ahead and turn there. 2 Thess 2.14. 14, I want you to see something really cool. 
God calls people to himself through the gospel. Like it's, it, in, in other words, it's not you convincing someone to become a Christian. The gospel, the, the proclaiming of the good news, if you proclaim it accurately, is the, is the means by which a sovereign God comes down and through that channel and grabs a sinner and brings them to repentance. This is what Paul says here in 2 Thess 2.14. Let's pick it up in verse 13. He says, but we, always, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Notice this language. So he said, we should, we should thank God for you because God chose you he made a choice. He chose you as the first fruits to be saved. <laughs> God chose you to be saved through sanctification. Now, don't think progressive sanctification here. Think being set apart. So, like, that's salvific language. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, notice the language, He called you through our gospel. You hear that? He called you. God's voice came down when they were idolaters and called them through the gospel. And only through the gospel. Maybe we put it that way for our, for our point. There's no, God's not working and operating in anything other than the gospel to save sinners in our evangelism. The good news, the, a, a proclamation of something that has happened. Okay? So, Again, it's essential if we want to be vessels that God uses in evangelism, we have to know the saving message. It's not about you and your methods. It's about the clarity of, of the gospel and living lives that back up, and it, like we saw in Titus, adorns the gospel. So it's essential for our evangelism, knowing the gospel, having clarity there. And... So though, you can think of those as like positive reasons why we should know the gospel have, and have as much clarity as we can on the gospel. But there's uh, a more concerning reason why, we, especially you and in, in your, your day, need to understand the gospel um, clearly, even as Christians, because the gospel is constantly in danger of being distorted. It's constantly in danger of being distorted. It happens in our popular Christian music. It happens on campus. It happens in the classroom. It happens in evangelical churches. The gospel is constantly in danger of being distorted. And we should expect this, like we said. We shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that this happens. Because if the gospel is all those things we just described, what's Satan's number one target? What's his modus operandi? What do you think he's trying to do? Distort it. Yeah, like deceive and, and, and help people not understand the gospel and think it's something different and get them off track. So we just need to know that out of the gate. The enemy of our souls, the great deceiver, wants to see the gospel distorted. And this is not anything new. So just jot down Galatians 1. Galatians 1. Paul faced this in his day. Galatians 1, 6. Listen to what he says here. I hear you flipping, so I'll... Wait. I'm really testing you. I'm making you write, turn, and listen all at the same time. I'm testing all your 
all your fine motor skills. Galatians 1.6, again, nothing new in Paul's day, or nothing new for us. It was Paul faced it in his day. He says to the Galatian church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, by the way, he says. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul throws himself in that category. If it's different than what I've said before, and I'm saying it, curse me. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So, obviously Paul faced it, and he attacked it with vehemence, right? Um, Distortion of the gospel. It's unacceptable. We can't do that because everything flows downstream. There's deception, wreckage, sin, carnage, all flows downstream from a, a distortion of the gospel at the headwaters. So Paul knew this, so he attacks it. He writes a whole letter to try to clarify, um, to try to clarify the gospel to this Galatian church. So, again, all this is kind of introduction, just kind of laying some stuff out. We can, we're getting a little bit of an idea here why Paul might say the gospel is of first importance, aren't we? Back in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. So... It leads to another question. If it's that important and so much of it is riding on the gospel, what is it? Right? What is the gospel? So let's start by asking another question. What does the term actually mean? Gospel. What do you think? Is that? Good Good news. That's right. Good news. So gospel in Greek... We just want to talk about the term, is pronounced euangelion. And it's there's a prefix and then like a root word. So the prefix, you, and then the root word, angelion. Did you hear that? Euangelion. So the prefix and, and the word. So angelion, that root word, is, is a message. You hear that you probably hear angel behind that, like ang. That's where we get our transliteration of angel. Angel means messenger. So an angelion is a message, an announcement, news, something that's that's happened. And then the prefix, you, means good or pleasing. So there's a a positive announcement, um, then not a a bad one. And that is the the standard word for this this message um, that we're to proclaim and to believe. So the point I think I just wanted to draw out for there is notice what it's not. All right, it's not an opinion. Um, it's news. It's reality. It's something that's happened. And, and the only thing you do with news is you declare it. It's not up for debate. It's declared. This is something that's objective. It's happened. And I am to proclaim it. And it has massive implications. So whatever this is that we're announcing that's happened has incredible implications for the whole creation. And these implications also come with commands. Commands. 
to repent and believe. We didn't look at that super in-depth here in some of, these, some of these passages, but they're there. They're not invitations, although it is an invite, so to speak. The Bible uses that language at some points, but they are commands, imperatives, to believe and repent to all creation. No matter the ethnicity, no matter the religion, commands, news that has happened, that comes with commands to be delivered. So, back to that central idea. What is the, what is the message, this news? How would you define the gospel? Yeah. I want to make sure I get it right so I'm not a curse. Just jump out there. Yeah, pretty good. (laughs) Pass, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, just take a stab. What do you think? How would you articulate it right now without any any prep? Hopefully you've been prepped by believing it, but what do you think? Take a stab at it. Hayden just stuck his neck out there on the chopping block. Yeah. The story of God's love for his people. Okay, the story of God's love for his people. Okay? What else? Okay, yeah, that's good. Always going with the text of Scripture. That's helpful. 1 Corinthians 15, that's a good one. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Central to the gospel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, yep. It's part of the gospel in the back. Yeah. So now we've introduced another key concept, which is sin, which is often left out of the gospel, and it's central to it. Humanity's plight. Um, we need to be rescued. It needs to, for it to be good news, we have to understand what the bad news is, right? And if you notice, it's a little teaser. In evangelicalism today, it's what the, the standard gospel presentation is a therapeutic gospel, meaning you're in pain, and Jesus has come to rescue you from your pain. Most contemporary Christian music that's the gospel, their version of it. And that's a distortion. It's not that you're not in pain. You are in pain. But you're in pain because of sin and your rebellion against God. So we have to be clear on that. Okay? Yeah, super helpful. Let me check the time here. 10.07. So I'm going to leave you on the cliff. No. What we want to do, oh, so I want to just leave you with this, okay? I want you to be thinking about that question. I want it to haunt you. What is the gospel? And I want you to try to identify it based on passages of Scripture to articulate an answer to that and to be just, just thinking through that. And I'm going to give you, give you some hints here. This word gospel is 
not just a New Testament phenomenon. It's got its background in the Old Testament, in particular the prophet Isaiah. We'll talk about that. Also, it's food for thought. The gospel is first announced by Jesus before he died. Another interesting thought. Opening of, of Mark is very clear. Opening of Matthew, same thing. Jesus himself, before his death and resurrection, is preaching the gospel. So, how do we, what do we make sense? How, if, if his death and resurrection are, are central to the gospel, how was he preaching the gospel beforehand? Then the Gospels end with, with the risen Christ telling his, his followers to proclaim the Gospel to all creation. And then it gets picked up again by the letters, by Acts. We see, that, we see it playing itself out. We, see we have different sermons in Acts of the Gospel being proclaimed. And we have different statements in the New Testament, even arguably entire letters written like Galatians and the book of Romans articulating the gospel. So, just, it's just an initial sketch, and I, I think you're going to see some, some, key, some key things coming together here, and I'll just throw this out, and then we'll, we'll look at it in depth later. My intention was to go through all this this morning, but obviously, I'm woefully out of time. So from some of these things, we can see that the good news, the gospel, was predicted, number one, predicted of old. It's an, it's an ancient message that's coming to, to full fruition in the opening of the New Testament. Next, we'll see it's, it's principally about the coming of God's eternal kingdom in the new creation through his Son. The very first words we see in the New Testament is uh, of the gospel is it's described as the gospel of the kingdom. Or, in another way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christos, Messiah, the gospel of Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God, which is another regal, both Messiah and Son of God are regal terms. So out of the gate, it's, the gospel is about the kingdom, whatever that means, and the new creation that's coming through this king. Number three, we'll see that it, it hinges, the gospel hinges fundamentally on the, death, the life, death, and the resurrection of this king, King Jesus. It's central to the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's news about something that he has accomplished. And then last, number four, we're going to see that there is a call to receive this news. To repent of the rebellion, the sin, that has separated us from this king, because we are in rebellion to him, all of us. To turn from our idolatry and to follow this king in order to be part of the coming kingdom in the new creation.
So that's, that's where we're headed. I don't know exactly how we'll outline this thing as we, as we move forward, because I'm, I'm still trying to put my thoughts together. But that's, that's the essence of it. In weeks to come, we're going to look in more depth at these different aspects of the gospel message and maybe talk about some of these things. So as you ponder, as you think, write down your questions, write down your observations, come ready to talk. We're going to be looking at God, the good creator. We have to start with him. We're going to be looking at man, the the creature made in his image that is in rebellion against that God. We're going to look at Christ, what he's accomplished, and the response of repentance and faith. And like I said, my goal is that this gospel would become the central conviction of your life. You'd stand on it, know it, be ready to die for it. It would be manifested in how you live, how you lay your lives down for others, um, all flowing out of of the glory of the gospel. So we know Satan's going to oppose us in this study, like he always opposes the word of God, but Christ is greater than he is. So um, just hang with me as we work through it together. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to know about, the, know about the gospel, that you brought it to us, and just even thinking about how when we heard it, that it was your channel of, of your ordained moment to reach down into our lives and save us. We heard your, we heard your voice through the gospel, not because we were smart, but because you made us alive. You unclogged our ears to hear. And we're profoundly thankful, Lord. We pray for clarity in the good news for this group so that they can be influential in their workplaces, Liberty's campus where there's so much confusion, and that you would use them mercifully to bring others to faith in Christ, to, uh, to clarify their own um, standing with you, so that they might have joy and fruit would abound. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.